Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza! You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Today on the show, I am sharing a conversation that I had with my buddy Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering and the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Uh, We recorded a big conversation for his podcast and it was such a great conversation and we dove deep into lots of the thinking and principles and tactics behind my creative side quest class on Skillshare and the process that I've used through my handbooks and and, uh, and, and a lot of the core values of this show. But there were so many new perspectives and new actions and, and stuff that I've been wanting to share with you. And I've been planning actually episodes Um, to share some of this stuff with you, but it was so conversational and I saw it from a bunch of different angles that I thought I'm going to share this conversation here uh, because it was straight fire, baby. So I think you're going to get a ton from this. If you want to uh, see a visual reference for the Creative Side Quest series. I think the best I've ever put it on paper is on my Instagram now at Andy J Pizza, Instagram.com slash Andy J Pizza if you're browser based. Um, but for the mobile phone users, just go search it and you can see I did a little slider deck that goes through the Creative Side Quest. And uh, I've been thinking about it as the life cycle of thriving creative practices. Like this is a, a, a the side quest uh, where you're going on a journey to figure out what kind of side project you need to make to have the next big break in your creative career. It's a cyclical process. It's a life cycle. And you got to figure out where am I at? Where am I stuck right now so that you're not wasting your time in the past or the future, but you're present and you know what you need to be working on today. This episode has all that and more. We dive a lot into how to determine your niche, why it's so important, uh, that what I've got from it, and, and how I've started to kind of tactically think about how I'm different in my creative genre, so to speak. You're going to love it. Here it is, me and Chris Graham. Let's go. One of the things that I think is fascinating about you and your story is that you are living the dream in a lot of ways. Thanks. You are an extremely accomplished illustrator. 
an extremely accomplished podcaster, an extremely in-demand creative business coach. You have other things that are more impressive that we're not allowed to talk about (laughs) yet. Right. You have irons in the fire, all of them. Like if you met someone at a party and I was like, oh, this is Andy. He, I listed all the things. Yeah. Like most people would be like bullshit. Like you can't be that good at that many things. And I think what's interesting about that in our industry as audio engineers, this idea of being all singing, all dancing of like. Jack of all trades. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the best at everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like we all, that's the fantasy that all of us have. And usually we talk about this on the show all the time. Usually what happens is someone starts a business and they start doing everything and they're obsessed with the idea that they can do everything. And what they don't know is they're actually not amazing at any of the things that they do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And. They don't know that because they've never deep dived for a couple years on 100% one or two skills. Yeah, 100%. And like that, this is my story for sure. It's like I started making records with people and I was like, oh, I'm the singer songwriter. Man, I'm going to like help them write their songs. I'm going to help them vocal coach. I'm going to like record everything. I'm going to engineer everything. I'm going to like disassemble the vintage electric guitar amp and like modify it with like better capacity. Like I do it all. I'm, yeah. And it was funny because I, I wonder why I wanted that. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that came down to his ego. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to be like, oh, he's so smart. Mm. He's so smart. He's a, what do you call it? Yeah. I don't, a, a poly. Polymath. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And so the interesting thing there is, and this is embarrassing to admit, but I think that that had a big influence on why I niched down into mastering. Uh-huh. But I think part of me was like, wait, so I could say, hi, I'm Chris Graham. I'm a mastering engineer. The word master yeah. is in it. There's like a Sometimes Jedi I call vibe. you master, Chris Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Not nearly enough. Not, <laughs> Not nearly enough. <laughs> I have introduced you like that on several occasions. <laughs> this is master Chris Graham. Yeah. Greetings, yeah. young Padawans. <laughs> yeah. So like I, I, amazing. I look at my business story of trying to do all singing, all dancing. And then when I niched down and was like, bruh, I'm only going to do mastering from now on. Yeah. I'm not saying this happens to everybody that niches, but I got pretty lucky. Things exploded for me mm-hmm. once I decided to focus on one niche. And the thing that's been interesting to me, and this is one of the things I want to talk about. Yep. Jim Collins, one of like our dudes, he writes all these great business books. Most of them not super applicable to people building recording studios. Solopreneur yeah. people, yeah. It's and mostly big business. Exactly. Stuff, yeah. And so I'm not saying go out and read a bunch of Jim Collins books, but I read a couple of them and I misapplied them to my life. Yeah. Like I'm only just now recovering from reading the wrong book and taking the advice. His advice, and a lot of times is for corporations that are like 100 years old. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> yeah. a one person business. Yep. So one of the things he talks about that fascinates me is this idea of if you want to hit build, an inflection point. Yeah. If you want to hit it, become a great business and have it grow and thrive, there's a Venn diagram. And that Venn diagram has got three circles on it. One of those is, I think at the top here, is something that you love doing. It's your mm-hmm. passion. The other one, visualize the low left circle here in this like triangle of circles, this Venn diagram, or as Brian likes to say, concentric circles. <laughs> and, uh, that one's got a money symbol in it. So that circle represents you can make money doing it. And then this circle on the far bottom right has hashtag one. You're mm. the best at it. And yeah. if you can figure out how to build a career right in the middle of all three of those circles, you'll be really, really successful. Yeah. But, but stuff you love, there's an economic engine so you can make money yep, at it. Totally. Yeah. 
So I kind of took that's this. That's the hedgehog. That's the hedgehog. Yeah. That's the hedgehog principle that Tim Collins talks about. The problem I've run into with this that I've been learning over the past maybe two or three years is that there's actually another circle in here and that this is growth. So you can figure out where you're passionate at and where you're going to make money. Yeah. But at the same time, there's this other circle here with growth. And, oh, you're fine, man. You're fine. If you pick an industry, it's got nothing to do with your own personal growth. You're going to eventually run into problems. You might be really successful for the first 10 years or so. And this is kind of what I'm learning is that like I niche down to mastering and then I've started to add other side projects. As anyone that's listened to this podcast yeah. knows, like I've got a bunch of other projects I'm working on. Homestudiolessons.com, yeah. bouncebutler.com, business coaching. And it's kind of funny because on, on the one hand, you know, Brian and I are like, oh, you got to niche down, you got to niche down. But then you look at Brian is the same way. Brian has a bunch of things that he does. Yeah. And that can be kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. And I think the important lesson there is that for everybody, even after you niche, there's the opportunity to be like, okay, I've mastered this thing. Like, to be honest, like audio mastering, very easy for me now. Yeah. I sit down and my brain immediately gets in the mode that it needs to. It never fails to like, once that switch has been flipped, I'm making good choices. And it's extremely rare for anything other than that to happen. But at the end of the day, I'm not necessarily like, wow, I'm a better man. Yeah. As a result of that. I mean, it's to me, there's a bunch of things going on there that yeah. I think are worth thinking about. One is the flow state is about the perfect balance of challenge and mastery. If that balance is out of whack, you yes. can't get in flow state. So yeah. if it's, if it's too much mastery and you're like, you've mastered the mastering mastery, uh, <laughs> then, then it's out of whack. And all of a sudden you're not, your brain isn't challenged enough to be, to get in that pocket. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that that's probably what's going on. But the other thing I think it's interesting, I think about this all the time, like when it comes to cliches or business advice or creative advice, whatever it is, I think that there, you know, you adding the circle to me, the growth component is about how it's almost always like when they want to give advice, it's like a fact mm. when everything is narrative, everything is, it's never a fact. A fact is always dual. It's always do this. Don't do that. Yeah. When the truth is it's almost always less like that, more like a story or more like the seasons in a year mm. is that you don't say to somebody harvest, you got to harvest, don't plant seeds, harvest. Yeah. Like, no, that's insane. You, there's seasons for planting seeds and seasons for harvesting. Mm. And, the, and so the same, like this growth element, that's a time element. It's like, you know, do this. But for me, you know, as you're talking through all this stuff, you're mentioning like, oh, you're a pot, you've done well in podcasting and illustration and a bunch of other areas. Oh, yeah. And I didn't even mention like children's books. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, so there, I, I forgot. Even in illustration, <laughs> it's, you know, advertising, editorial, kids yeah. book, a bunch of stuff. The interesting thing is the hedgehog principle and the niching down principle happened in each one of those. You're looking at a 12 year career ah. where I did, you know, for two years at a time, niched to one particular thing mm. until I had found some level of mastery and some level of breakthrough and then kind of let that plate spin and then move on to another thing. And so it looks like I'm kind of defying the hedgehog principle because if you look at it all at once, yeah. rather than over time and growth, it looks like jack of all trades doing a bunch of different things yeah. when in actuality and practice it was a series of events and a seer in a dots on a line. Mm. Uh, they were hedgehog principles. And the other thing about that is it's all been through the lens of growth because it's all been 
a systematic action oriented way of finding what do I really do best. Mm. So every time I would take that hedgehog principle idea and it would create a hypothesis of this is where I need to niche down. Then I would spend two years making work actively testing that hypothesis, not just in my brain, but like by trying it out, trying to break in, trying to get good Mm. at it. And then at the end of that, I would pivot and I'd be like, okay, well, this is what I liked about that. Like when I, I did a project as a good example of one that didn't go anywhere is I spent a really significant amount of time, probably about a year where my side project was this thing called a novel view where I did new book covers for books from the public domain Mm. and I made screen printed posters out of it. And so I did Why that. Why have we not talked about this? That's <laughs> because, awesome. Well, because I don't read those books. Okay. So that's what I learned. Huh. I did that process and I thought, I don't, I should not get into book cover illustration. I don't read any fiction. That's really, huh. that's so inauthentic. It's such a, but I only knew that all these illustrators find for them to sit around and be like, I wish someone would hire me to be a book cover illustrator. And that's as far as it goes. Like, well, I hope that, you know, Hagrid shows up and says, you're a wizard or yeah. you know, Hagrid shows up yeah, and says, yeah. you're a book cover. Like, I, everybody's huh. waiting for someone to, to, to be told what their niche is yeah. rather than the way that I've done it as a systematic experiment. And so instead of, I, for the longest time, I'd watch my friends who were book cover illustrators and think, man, those jobs look so fun. Hmm. I want to do that. And then I spent a year trying to do that. And after I was done, I was like, no, this is such <laughs> a bad fit for me because I don't read fiction. Huh. So how could, why would I want to make that my niche? Yeah. But I only figured that out by a year of making those posters. Ooh. So Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So, so you string enough of those together. Yeah. Some failed, some not. Lots of pivoting. And you get where I am today. Doing, I love that. what I'm doing. Yeah. So let me kind of bring up a couple of vocab words for you guys right now. So pivoting is when you're building a business and then you figure out you have a new strength or a new opportunity or like the circle has probably changed. Yeah. So you got these four circles as you try to figure out how to make your business run. One of them's the thing you love. Another circle is making money. Another circle is you're, you're the best at it. And then this other circle that we're talking about, we're bringing in, we're adding to the Jim Collins picture here is growth that eventually, and I love what you're saying there is this growth circle is probably the one that changes the most right? in different seasons of life. I remember like when I first started mastering every project, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I learned something new on this project mm-hmm. that I'll be able to use occasionally in the future. That doesn't really ever happen yeah. anymore. It's just, okay. This is exactly the way I think it should be. I'm done. Moving on. Yeah. Had a great time. I'm patting myself in the back. I'm smiling at the end of the day, but there's no like, wow, I need to dig into this more in my right. soul. Can I just give a real yeah, quick yeah. example of pivoting that I think is my, one of my favorite yeah, examples yeah. is Instagram started as a company. I believe it was like, I don't actually know what geocaching is, but I think it's <laughs> something. <laughs> Do you know what that is? I think it's like uh, something about location. Yeah. You stuff, like right? find a GPS source and you have yeah. to go to that GPS location and then. I think originally it was something that it was something location based. Yeah. That's what Instagram was at the start. And what happened is they noticed all their users were using their app just for the filter function. So there was a photo function within this location based yeah. thing where people were getting on this app. They weren't doing any of the location crap that the whole app was about. They were just using the filters for the photos because everybody yeah. liked the filters. And then they pivoted to being a photo company. So that does Great. that make sense? That's I love it. that. Yeah. One yeah. of my favorite stories on that. But uh, you can't do that if you don't make an app. You can't do that in your mm, navel gazing, yeah. sitting back and not writing on stage. I know we're getting in way. I'm getting into all my jargon. <laughs> I'm a, just, I apologize because it's a million rabbit trails. You're fine, man. This is great. Maybe we'll go there. Maybe we won't, but go well, ahead. Okay. So a couple stories on this. I'm going to tell a story about pivoting, but first yeah. I want to talk about, we've said hedgehog principle a bunch. Yeah. I want to explain that. 
So the hedgehog principle is something Jim Collins came up with. I believe it's in Built to, to Last or is okay. it in Good to Great? I don't know. I haven't read those books. Yeah. I just heard him talk about it. It's funny because those books are like sisters. They're very, <laughs> very, very similar, at least in my memory. It's been a while since I've read them. But he talks about this idea of the hedgehog principle. And the basic idea is it's kind of a rip off of Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. Right. And so the idea is like there's this fox and he wants to eat this hedgehog. And the fox keeps coming up with all these elaborate ways to get the hedgehog. And right as the, the fox pounces and tries to surprise the hedgehog in a new way, the hedgehog is like, oh, hey, it's the fox. I'm going to roll into a spiky ball. And then the fox is like, oh, he got me again. I tried to bite him. And he's- Whereas the roadrunner runs fast. Yeah, roadrunner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's hilarious because he could have just called it the roadrunner principle instead right. of the hedgehog True. principle. But the, yeah, Wiley Coyote does everything he can with various. That resonates a lot better for me. It makes me a lot too. More sense yeah, yeah. There's like, oh, he's going to use an anvil this time. Oh, no, a rocket. Oh, a giant thing of TNT. Oh, a huge piano falling from a cliff. Yeah. All these crazy creative ideas. And the roadrunner is just like, me, me. Again yeah. with the sounds. Back yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. That is a good sound. It is a that's good sound. Good so he just does the same thing again and again. And so that's niching. So niching is you do the same thing again and again. And a couple things happen when you do this is one, it makes it really easy to communicate. Yeah. Um, we've had this guy, Mark Eckert, on the show in the past. And his, I don't have my computer on in front of me, but his website's amazing. And it's basically like you look at his headline and it says it's something along the lines of like, the only thing I give a fuck about is making indie pop music, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Yeah. And he's just so all in on like, oh, well, if you're not this, his headline in his website tells you like, I'm not your guy. Yeah. Yep. And like just he's amazing at this. So one, niching makes it really easy to communicate. Two, niching makes it really easy for people to tell your story, which is something I want to talk into, talk about a lot more with you. Yeah. This idea of like, oh, dude. Man, you should uh, you should go to Mark Eckert. He's this amazing indie pop producer. Oh, cool! All right, there's a one sentence elevator pitch. It's like I've heard, you know, my book coach told me that like the books that spread are the the ones that people can talk about. Yeah. So can you talk? Can you in a really in two sentences say is the book a container for a really transferable idea? Yes. If it is, oh, then boom! I love it's, that. It's a winner. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And there's a lot of books. Man, some of our podcast episodes break that. Like there are some episodes sure. that I'm like, oh man, these are our best, but we haven't packaged it in a yeah. way that makes it as like, oh, cool, cool. That's what this episode is about, which is tricky. So let's talk about pivoting again. So yeah. one of my favorite pivoting stories is somebody decides, hey, we're going to build a remote payment system in like the 90s. Uh-huh. And at the time, there was no way to accept money online. Like it was really, really complicated to navigate banks who are really slow moving like organisms that don't change quickly. Yeah. And two different companies, PayPal, and I forget what the name of the other one was, decide we're going to try to to solve this. Eventually these two companies come together. Elon Musk is at the helm. Yeah. And their product essentially was back in the day, there are these things called Palm Pilots. They're kind of the predecessor of the iPhone, except sucky. And it's like a little handheld device and it's got like a little stylus and somebody wrote a piece of software and it allowed people with Palm Pilots to transfer money from one mm. Palm Pilot to the other. Revolutionary. And they got really fixated on this idea. And then what they found is they're like looking through all their data and they're like, wow, all these people are using this payment system in order to make transactions on eBay. But neither of them owns a Palm Pilot. Like they're using like the web inter- version of this like the crappiest part of the product 
And Elon had to have this moment of like, oh, this isn't what we are. This yeah. isn't what people think about. And it's really good. Yeah. Okay. Go, keep going. Okay. Can so, I write on here? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So one of my favorite sayings ever is that branding is what people say about you when you're not there. It's kind of niching as well. So I've been struggling with this, and we'll talk about this a lot more because the success of the podcast has created some kind of weird branding moments for me because I see myself as a mastering engineer. I've seen myself as a mastering engineer for years, but most people see me as like a talky, businessy, thinkery guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a podcaster, yeah. right? And so there's some, what I would call brand business, like sync issues there. Yep. Who I see my it's a business product as. market fit. It's a product market fit. Yeah. The product that you think you're selling isn't what the market thinks it is trying to get from you. Exactly. And there's a, yeah, disconnect. Exactly. Which means you're going to get a lot of churn. You're going to get a lot of yeah. all kinds of, yeah. you're going to miss all these opportunities. It's going to be frustrating. 100%. It's going to yeah. feel weird and feel off. Yep. And so back to Elon Musk and PayPal is that when they learned this, it was really difficult for their team to process, hey, you were trying to build this, we're going to kill it. We're going to end this thing, and we're going to transition to being the number one place for online payment on eBay. So this was really difficult for the engineers that built the product initially because they were really tied to it. It was can their I baby. Do, yeah, I, let me just say in. something real quick because this perfectly goes back to this non-dual advice thing mm. because here's the thing. What you're going to usually get is uh, like grit to like mm. stick to your guns, do like focus on the one thing, never let it go until it's one hundred. <laughs> I hurt myself. I love your passion uh, here. <laughs> you know, like there's grit yeah. and then there's pivoting, right? So- which one's right? Grit is all about like, you know, you're familiar with all this, like perseverance, just stay yeah. on it. And then there's pivot, like, you know, hold things loosely, always be changing up, move yeah, on to yeah. the next thing fast, quick, you know, pivot fast. And to me, again, that is a narrative. It's missing the seasonal narrative based mm. version of this. And this is where the processes that I come up with bake into the system. There is a season where you have your blinders on. And you are all in, disciplined, not just dipping your toes in a pool. You set your target and you say, that's the pool I'm going to jump in. And you cannonball into that pool. Now, once you're in there, once you've really, like, for instance, when I started my podcast, I decided before I started, I'm so sure that this is something I need to deeply explore, that I need to cannonball into and not dip my toes into. I'm doing 100 episodes no matter what. No matter what, I'm doing 100. I don't care. How, I don't care if it's five people that listen to it. Yeah. I don't care. I'm going to do it for 100 episodes. And I'm so glad I did because the first 50 episodes, which is a year of making podcasts, by the way, my numbers were really low. What I did have, though, was I had the quantitative data wasn't great. The qualitative data was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Mm. So it was, I'd never, you know, never had I had anybody write me emails that said, I just bawled my eyes out about this. You changed my life, blah, 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 blah. You know, mm. nothing I'd ever made had the depth of connection and resonance, which I, I always am like attuned to that. But it's this idea of like, there was a season of, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be blinders for a hundred episodes. And then after that, then I'm going to explore pivoting. So there's this weird push and pull because what you're saying, these engineers know, engineers know you've got to be disciplined. Yeah. You've got to have laser focus on your goal. Right. Yeah. But that same thing, if they would have just taken that advice wholesale, binary, dual thinking wise and thinking always persevere, 
they would have completely missed this huge opportunity. Enormous opportunity. Right? And let's talk about this transnitioning idea. Love it. Yeah. This idea of like <laughs> finding a new niche is you take that story. A transnition. A transnition. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. A transnition. And, oh and uh, so you take Elon's story. Uh-huh. And so I read a lot about this and he's got a biography that's got kind of popular. And, you know, he makes this transition. Is it called Musky? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good time. Old Musky. <laughs> Muskrat. Amazing. Um, anyway. So he. So I'm sorry. No, you're fine. So like he captains the ship and is like, okay, guys, I know this sucks, but like our circles have changed. They pivot. They start focusing on eBay. And then eventually eBay is like, hmm, we would like to buy you. Yeah. For a lot of money. So Elon gets a huge payday. He buys like a McLaren F1, I think is what it's called. A million dollar right. car. Yeah. And there's this famous video of like him getting the delivery and it's amazing to watch. And he ends up starting a bunch of other companies. I think he's like number one in solar companies right now with Solar City or, or close to number one. He's number one in obviously Tesla. He's number one in private rocketry. Mm. Cheese. Crazy. Yeah. Like he's, uh, he's number one in cheese. He's number one in cheese. <laughs> and he probably is also number one in lithium batteries yeah. right now, because guess what? Tesla's run on lithium batteries. And in order to make that happen, at least if he's not number one in lithium batteries, he will be someday. Yeah. Eventually they're going to vertically integrate, which means they're going to buy all the companies that, that are their suppliers. Yeah. And then they own all the means of production. This is like, you know, business history one sure. So it's fascinating to me that like their response to the circles have changed. Our number one is somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And at first we're not sure how we feel about that. And the money circle is totally different too. I'm yeah. sure like they saw this and the engineers were like, Oh, that's stupid. It bugs me that someone's using my baby in the wrong way. But then Elon, I'm sure is looking at it and is like, yeah, but eBay might want to buy us for like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. So I think what's so interesting about that is we see this in everyone's business story is that these circles grow and they shrink and they change and the marketplace changes. I love what you're saying about grit. If the engineers and Elon had just been like, no, this is for Palm pilot payments and we will not, we will persevere. We will educate. Like yes. that would have been a train wreck totally for him and for society. Yeah. Like Elon's just getting started. Clearly there are all these amazing opportunities of like, well, what happens if all these things play out successfully because Elon made these trans niches uh -huh. over time? We might be a two planet species yeah. if he's True. successful yeah. and global pollution might go down. And I like the trans niche and yeah. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't know if there is a way <laughs> to say that right, but I think that it's an integrated model of the hedgehog model integra mm. integrated with a timeline. So this, oh, you know what I'm dude. saying? Because the thing is what you're in number one right now, first of all, that's what you know of yourself. So that's a self-knowledge thing. Yeah. This is your best bet of based on what I know about now, this is my spot. But as you make stuff, you actually learn a more intimate knowledge of what you're really good at. Mm -hmm. And you're like, actually, I need to pivot away from that because I'm actually better at that. The other thing that happens is mm. the demand in the market changes. Yeah. So that both is timeline. So the more you do, the more you understand what you're good at in, in new opportunities mixed with how the demand changes over time and what, totally. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's just, yeah, it's integrated with the timeline kind of, I think there's probably, yeah, some kind of spinning wheel version of it. Totally. This is my story right now is that I was a mastering engineer who was friends with this guy, Brian, who had a blog. Brian invited me to 
co-host a podcast with him. I just wanted to hang out with Brian. Yeah. And the podcast was a great excuse to do that. And I could tell my wife, yeah, we'll probably get maybe two or three customers someday a month from this podcast if it goes extremely well, knowing like I've done podcasts before. This probably isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then it explodes. I haven't told you this yet. Mm. The podcast December was 25% larger than any month we had previously had. And then January was 25% larger than December. So, you know, Brian and I went out to Nam. Crazy. It's like the mecca of audio and music people. Yeah. 150,000 people there and everyone's walking around. And it was this really weird experience that like I met a ton of people, a bunch of people walked up, saw the purple shirt and were like, oh, dude, I love the podcast. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a mastering engineer. Okay. I'm more than just a podcaster. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's been like a weird transition. Because, you know, as far as like the mastering thing, my niche initially when I got into mastering was I noticed that most mastering engineers aren't very nice and that I was good at mastering. And I said, well, if I'm just like the nicest mastering engineer mm -hmm. on earth, mm -hmm. I'll probably do all right. Yeah. That worked. It's a good niche. It was a great niche. Yeah. And then the podcast started to take off and it was sort of like me processing, okay, well, th this thing's going a lot better than the mastering thing, but the mastering thing still works yeah. great. It's still killing it. But I'm hearing from the marketplace. It's as if like humanity as a whole is speaking something of like, well, we want more of like, how do we build successful careers? We, yeah. we don't really want a mastering course from you. We want more podcast episodes and more stuff yeah. like that business coaching. And so one of the things that was crazy over this last year was business coaching. I started doing the business coaching thing in large part because of you. Yeah. We moved into this space and I was next door. And you were in the room that we're currently in now, and I would be working on something, you know, uh, one of the businesses. I'd be shouting in the other room. Yeah, you'd be <laughs> shouting on a coaching call. And so I would like hear you. Lovingly shouting. Yeah, yeah. I would hear you doing this and be thinking, wow, that sounds really, really fun. Yeah. I want to do that. And then lo and behold, a particular individual that was very influential in our industry said, I want you to be my business coach. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. And it was this like sync issue between what people were saying about me when I wasn't there and who I saw myself in the marketplace as. And so when I started doing the business coaching thing, just like really just a couple times a week, I noticed something interesting about it. It was that as far as I know, I might be the only guy that's like the one-on-one -on -one business coach who specializes in businesses that provide services in the music industry. Uh-huh. That's the clearest I've ever actually explained that. Good job. Thank you. Good thing it's recorded. <laughs> Good thing, yeah. And so I started to see that, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the demand for it was crazy. Yep. I couldn't keep up with it. But the thing that I found that was most interesting was the growth component. Was I'd get done with a coaching session and be like, oh, man, that was great. I've got an idea for a podcast episode. Yeah. And I've got clarity on how to ask better questions. We just did an episode on the Socratic method. That's my primary coaching method is yeah. Ask so many questions before you start saying anything. Yeah. And what I've found through that is I've become a significantly better husband and a significantly better dad. And I think a better friend. Yeah. Too, because I'm not like, actually, what you should do is, which would have been my default mode of operation right. in the not so distant past. And so it's been kind of interesting for me to process this transitioning process of like, I want to keep mastering. I have every intention of continuing to do that yeah. for the foreseeable future. But I'm also, the growth circle is not there for me. You know, it's, I'm good at it. I can make a lot of money. I might still be the nicest mastering engineer on the, on the planet, yeah, yeah. maybe. 
I feel like mastering engineers have gotten nicer over the past like 15 years. So lovely. my lead is, has shrunk significantly. <laughs> but anyways, man, I think what I'm trying to say here is this is a really real process that I think we all experience. Yeah. I love what you said about there's a timeline. As an engineer, my temptation is to be like, this Venn diagram represents truth under all circumstances. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's what I want. Yeah. Universal truth. I don't think you set me up to tell the story. And actually, <laughs> I told I told the story last week on the podcast on okay. my podcast. Creative pep talk. I'm just kidding. Gonna, but I did. I'm gonna did pitch that. the hell out of this <laughs> yeah, in the intro and outro. That's so fine. yeah. But, but I did in the last because uh, you told me I should tell the story. Yeah. Everything you just said set this up. So back in the day, this is maybe like six or seven years ago. I had a huge project. So like in illustration, one of the biggest projects you can get is packaging because it's part of the, the, mm. the product. So the usage of the money that you get paid for, like the person that illustrated that little farm scene on the Hidden Valley Ranch thing yeah. is raked huh. in the cash. Huge payout for that huh. because it's part of the product. Yeah, right? it's the product and then it's the dressing of the product. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm under the table now. That's <laughs> this started the, dad, the dad jokes are coming and they don't oh, stop man. coming. I feel like I'm at my, like this season of life is kind of, when it comes to puns, like it's my salad days. Oh, dear. Oh. It's like, <laughs> I knew it was happening. I knew it. I could, I was feeling it. Am I good to continue? You're good. You're good. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I had a, I got a job for one of the biggest, mm. if not biggest vodka brands. I can't, again, NDA. Can't yeah, say yeah. what it is. You've heard of them. You've heard of them. And they wanted me to do an illustration for one of their bottles for one of their new products. And everything that I came up with, we got really far in the process. Everything I came up with, the lawyer rejected because they're like, this looks like it's made for kids and we can't do that. It will get sued <laughs> if we are an alcohol <laughs> brand that, look, that looks like they're selling stuff to kids. And so then later on, that became a trend where I would be on a project huh. and I'd get an email in the middle of the project that would say, you know, can you make this feel a little bit more grown up? It feels a little bit like it's for kids. And I, as soon as that would happen, it'd be a huge red flag. I was like, this project's going down in flames because huh. I can't. I can't hmm. like I can make playful stuff for grownups, but I can't not make playful stuff. It's always playful. But the thing that happened to me, what I realized from reading Jim Henson's bio, his whole career is him trying to convince people he's more than a child's performer. And to me, there's just this weird thing happening of, you know, the, what people are saying behind your back, what people are saying yeah. when you're not there in terms of your brand, there's this weird ego thing. I don't know if it was ego for him. I'm just, I'm putting my, me in those shoes. For me, the thing that said, I don't, I'm more than a kid's illustrator. Like it, it's this thing of like, you know, I feel like when it's you in your niche, you feel like I contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. But if, if Jenny's ice cream says we make the best ice cream in the world, which they do, which they do. But there's a thing of when other person's niches down, you're like, prove it. Like, really? You yeah. think you're the uh. human on the planet that makes the best ice cream. But when you do it for yourself. You're like, I'm more than making ice cream. I'm more than that. Like, have the humility and the confidence to be like, I'm going to focus on this thing. And so for me personally, Ooh. I've listened to that over time where I'm like, you know what? I do think my illustration is primarily for kids. And actually, when I look at my lesson from Henson is he was one of the best child's entertainment creators of all time. And there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more mm. glorious and honorable to be someone who gets to speak into children's lives on a mass scale 
why do you need to be more than that? Uh, yeah. You're not more than that. And that's huh. it, like, you, anyway, that's an example of people kept telling me, people kept telling me, you should make stuff for kids. And I kept saying, okay, I think I'm going to focus on uh, men's t-shirts from age 18 to 35. And they're like, do you have any kids t-shirts? And I'm like, no, I don't. I only make <laughs> like, what, like, does that make sense? Yeah. So there's this thing of like, what is the market telling you you are? Like, yeah. take that raw data, filter it into your messaging and who you are. And there's a humility and an acceptance to all that. Does that all make sense? This is what 100%. you're talking about, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love what you said about humility and confidence. So the reason I didn't niche down that yeah. I was like, I'm a producer for when I first started out. I'm a producer for every genre mostly singer-songwriters, and I do everything. I'm the engineer, the writer, the producer, the vocal yeah, coach, yeah. the technician, like the amp tech, the guitar tech. Seriously, all the things that there was a lack of humility in saying like, man, I just want to get great yeah. at this one thing. You know, oh, do keep it. going. Well, I have something. No, I, you okay. go. Okay. <laughs> all right, this is my favorite example of this, and there is a spiritual component, but I don't think that's really the takeaway. Mm. We talked about this. Oh, I love this story. It's one of my all-time favorite stories, and it's George Washington Carver. He's having a conversation with God, and he's saying, tell me why you created the universe, and God's response to him is, ask a question more your size, mm. and then he's like, okay, why did you make people. And he's like, not small enough. Hmm. And he's like, okay, why did you make peanuts? And then God's response is, let's spend the next, the rest of your life answering that question together. Hmm. And so he spent his entire life focused on the peanut and did amazing things with the peanut. Hmm. And you think, man, his legacy is peanut butter. Huge. Like, <laughs> do, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you know how much of an impact that made in hmm. humanity? Like, but it, it wasn't it's, too it's small for him. So oh, far no. and wide. Uh. <laughs> Come on, get him out. How okay. many more he got? Well, when he, when he started to lean into this niche, into his calling, <laughs> he really came out of his shell. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's my jam. Oh, right? Is. It's yeah. a little bit of a reach. Um, but, but you know, I, I love mm. that idea of like, you're a human's life. It's not too small of a thing to mm. obsess over this little tiny thing. And then I want to speak to, because I, I think my other side, the other place that's a blind spot where I think some people go wrong with niching is, and again, we're like integrating Simon Sinek's model into this because mm. I think what happens is they want to niche down in a how or a what. Mm. So a how for an illustrator is your style, how you go about making something. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of people niche down in that. Or a lot of people niche down on the what of like, I make magazine illustrations. That's what I make. Mm. And I actually think for me, this long process of going through niching down into a bunch of little places and then kind of slowly but surely finding my real sweet spot, I feel like the deeper I dig, I dig past hows and past whats and I get to why. And there's a niche of why. And so for me... I realize what I'm here to do on this planet is say something. That's what I do. And it's almost always storytelling. It's mm. almost always storytelling. Whether I'm making illustration or I'm doing a talk, it's storytelling. I want to tell a story. And so that helps me realize, like, I don't want to do projects and illustration where I don't feel like I'm writing with pictures. If I feel like 
I'm not getting any, none of my opinions are in here. It was dictated to me. I'm a hired hand mm. and a million other people could do it. That's not my niche. My niche is so deeply connected to my voice and what I want to talk about. Totally makes sense. One of the things I love about our friendship. Yeah. So basically our story is I was looking for office space in the uptown Westerville area, which is north of Columbus, Ohio. We have a mutual friend, Colin and Michelle Rigsby. Colin used to play drums in this band called House of Heroes. They were like a band's band in, you know, sort of this like Christian heavier scene. Tooth and nail kind of scene. Yeah, tooth he and nail goatee. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think it was mostly Michelle, his wife. I've known Colin and Michelle for years. I went to middle school with Colin. And you mentioned to Michelle, you were looking for office space. Michelle was like, oh, you should talk to Chris Graham. You called me. I had no idea who you were. I wonder if she's a connector. Yeah. Back yeah. to the, the go-giver anyway, thing. Yeah. yeah. So she did the connector thing. was like, you guys should talk. We met. And I remember like a couple things from that. And one of the things was we're sitting down at North Star Cafe and you said, you know, I've got... ADD too. And I was like, hold on, hold the phone. I didn't tell you I have ADD. Yeah. But I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, so there was this instant connection, but also it was like, wait, 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 wait. You mean to tell me that you created like a business podcast for creatives? Yeah. And I also have a business podcast for creatives in this niche of audio. Mm -hmm. Whoa, weird. Like there's not that many of those shows. No, like no. they're very, very, very rare. It was interesting because you are way farther down this road that I've pretty much just started on. And I remember you told me this story about how you were killing it in illustration. Yeah. You know, like New York Times, Nickelodeon, Google, like all these huge companies are coming to you and saying, hey, we want you to draw a picture that we want to show millions and millions of people in a way that explains who we are and what our brand is. Yeah. And so you're making a killing. You bought a house. With, with money you made from yeah. drawing pictures. Yep. So cool. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I do like an illustration in terms of business, how it's like alchemy. Huh. You literally take a piece of paper and turn it into money. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're literally cool. printing something yeah. like you could. And back in the old days, you would literally turn in a piece of paper and then you would get another piece of paper back with, with, with zeros yeah. on yeah. it. That's you pretty, know, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I remember you told me about in your story that you were an illustrator you started your podcast and you were explaining sort of all these things within the creative world and how business and creativity intersect. And you would have to tell these stories to illustrate yeah. the points that you were making. Well, actually I had like an identity crisis first. Yeah. So my identity crisis first was I did this talk and it was like super metaphor and analogy heavy, just a little tiny talk. And when I did it, my wife was there. It was a small group. So sometimes I'll do a creative thing and I'll think, whoa, that was magic. Mm. And then I'll show my wife and she's like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> she's the most honest critic. So helpful. Like I, almost so many of my big, really, I've gotten so much more self-aware mm. by being with her, even early days, like help me niche down in all kinds of ways. Mm. I'm like, yeah, don't, don't do that stuff. And just super helpful. And so usually I would do something that I thought, I think that was kind of magic. And then she'd be like, no. But after that talk, she was there. I was like, I, something really weird just happened. Hmm. And she's like, yeah, it did. I don't even know what happened. That's when I started the podcast. It was after that. 
because I was like, I don't know. I don't think illustrations is much my thing. I think it's something about these stories, metaphors, analogies, mm. it's all that kind of stuff that I don't know what that is. And so I started doing talks and I did the podcast. And then one day, like two years into making the podcast, I heard a public speaker say, all right, I want to explain something to you. I'm going to give you a little illustration. But he was talking about analogies. Hmm. And I was like, they're the same thing. I just spit on you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're <laughs> they're, they're, they're the same thing. That gets back to the why thing hmm. is that the why underneath you get past the veneer layers of how and Ooh. what you get down to like, Preach. what is the essence of what I do? Yeah. Because then if you niche down into that, the ecosystem of things you can do in terms of a business, they're not so limiting. Once I understood that I could work with all kinds of different people and do all kinds of different things. Huh. Essentially I'm doing the same thing, but that's my point about illustration. I don't want, I don't want to do illustration that is all what and how. It's all the style. It's all like draw a pig, whatever it is. It's got to have some of that sauce of this is an illustration. This is an, mm. a visual analogy. This is, you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's got to be in that little core center why. There are so many wisdom bombs that you're dropping here that I can see that a lot of people that are listening to this show would just be like, oh my gosh, okay. Essence. I think in our industry, there's the temptation, and my gosh, have I been guilty of this. There's a temptation to look at yourself as the collection of skills that you possess. Mm-hmm. That you're like, well, I really know signal flow, and I really know compression, and I really know, and that's what makes me marketable. But I think, I think that we're created, yeah, not to get awkward and spiritual here, and I think <laughs> that each one of us was made in a way that was revolutionary. Yeah. And figuring out what that is, is so freaking unbelievably important. I mean, that, important. I, I'm, here's the thing. I agree with what you're saying, but I love to also flip it on its head and say, you don't have to agree with that. Yeah. It can be a divine creation, a divine design, or it can be evolution. But yeah. either way, same thing. you are one of a kind and you contain the universe's most complex machinery. If you find what is it? These two things combined, my unique DNA that will never be recreated and this complex machine, this most complex thing in the known universe your brain. is your brain. Yeah. And you put those, you figure out what's the thing that that combination does that's super valuable to my tribe. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. That's your essence. You know, your pun thing is a good example of it. Mm. It's like a function. And to me, mm. there's a function that's pattern recognition. So it's just an analogy is just a pattern. Same thing. It's yeah. Like, that's like that. Like, yeah, I'm not going to go into examples because it's going to way rabbit trail, but it's, oh, that's kind of like that. Yeah. And that's a function that my mm. DNA and my brain together do. And I just do that all day long. And that's really good. You string enough of those together and you have a good story. Yeah. Well, and let me dive down deep into this. So we've had this conversation a couple of times and the idea that I'm fascinated with is you think about gold and mm-hmm. its value. Yeah. Gold is an atomic structure. It's a bunch of the exact same thing again and again and again. It yes. in itself is a pattern. Yes. It's a couple of molecules. I forget what it is like specifically. I mean, gold is an element though. It's right? an element. So it's just one, right? Oh yeah, you're right. It's not even a, yeah. yeah. There's it's no just other, literally there's, that atom. There's one right? atom one, and every piece of yeah. gold, every atom of gold is exactly the same. Yes. And a giant piece of gold is just a bunch of those atoms. And so the unique thing here is that the atom of gold is unique and compared to other atoms. Yes. And a bunch of gold atoms together is the same as a whole bunch more gold atoms together. And I think it raises an interesting question. Stick with me here, guys. Is how many gold atoms are there? 
Well, you can do it with diamonds because I looked this up. Yeah. There's 150 million carats of diamond on the planet, and we still consider that level of rare to be high levels of value. Right. Right? And there's only one of you. Yeah, there's only one. Every single person that's listening to this show right now. And go check out science. Yeah. The scientists say this equation Mm. is such that this pattern of your DNA will never repeat. It will never repeat. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't even include the nature nurture thing. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Well, I've said that too. That same idea is like, that's just your DNA. Compound that with your experience. Compound that with like your skills, the things you've learned, a million other things, right? The thing I want to get back to with all of that, when it comes to your function, when it comes to your hedgehog, when it comes to your niche, the one thing, if I have something to transfer from me to other people Mm. is don't do it like a personality test. Don't do it like a career aptitude test. Mm. Don't do it in an afternoon while you're thinking about what is my niche? See your life's purpose as that journey. Mm. Joseph Campbell called it the hero's journey. Carl Jung, psychoanalyst, psychologist, called it the process of individuation. It is the purpose of your life is to act. And that's why I love my whole seven-step process is about making stuff as a tool, not just for self-expression, but self-excavation. How do I use it? And I think it was Bruce Springsteen talks about how he had the exact same problems of his dad, but what his dad didn't have was music. And so he used music to work out all that stuff It's mm. a, as a tool for individuation, a mm. tool. So all this niche thing for me, don't just say, I think my niche is analogies. Prove it. Go yeah. take that hypothesis and do a hundred episodes of a podcast. Then you'll find what yeah. Palm Pilot found. Is that who it was? Palm yeah, Pilot. Yeah. That, oh, I thought it was in this personal handheld device. It was actually as uh, out there on the road. Out there with my hands in the dirt. Every device on the planet. Every tech company. Every startup. Like that that is their, like Twitter. Twitter started as like some kind of uh, program for like cops or something where they were, it was like a a really shorthand way of like, you should go look it up. Like almost every, I mean, Facebook was a dating app for college people. Like every single one. And the whole point of that is, this is, it drives me super bonkers. The way that we think about career, like Mm. this linear thing of, you know, you start the level and you just do the work in front of you and you just level up until you die. Mm. Don't do that. It's an open world and it's side quests for me, right? Yes. That's what I I wanted to talk about. I hope we're linear enough on this. No, we totally are. I hope people can follow that. We totally are. So here's how Chris Graham 16 years ago would have heard this. Yeah. I would be irritated because I'd be like, wait, so you're saying like there's no the truth of who I am and what my career is going to be, it's going to go through seasons and there'll be seasons when I lean into different things. And it's not just one straight path. Uh And I think what most people in our industry do is they look at the heroes in our industry and they say, I want to be just like him. Yeah. Which is exactly what I did. I wanted to be Ed Cash. Uh Ed Cash was this super successful Christian music producer. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I just want to, I want to do, I, I even want my individual projects to mirror his. Yeah. I want to be an all singing, all dancing producer most of the time. And then occasionally I want to go do singer songwriter shows at Young Life Camps yeah. and I'll be the special music guy. That was the dream. That's what I did on a considerably smaller level than Ed Cash because. I love this, by the way. For a lot of reasons, I was not as experienced, as smart, as talented, as gifted, as connected 
I didn't have like uh, coaches in my life the way Ed did, and of course it didn't go. Probably the same also way. didn't have some of the je ne sais quoi. The je ne sais quoi, right? The, like some, how do you thing. say? Yeah, yeah. That, that it's a point one percent of DNA that made him like this super freak doing yeah, this little thing. Totally. Right? And I didn't realize it's silly to just see someone else as a straight path to success. Yeah, I'll just emulate everything they did. When it's like, bruh, let's back up. Let's talk about gold. Uh-huh. Let's talk about diamonds. We got plenty. Right. We have a lot of it. And yeah. guess what? Here's the, the scary thing about gold. Like I'm lo- so excited right now. <laughs> like people, there's a lot of, so I like lean libertarian, right. right? Yeah. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I'm sort of skeptical of the whole yeah. beast. Right. But a lot of like hardcore libertarians are like, man, gold, invest in gold. Yeah. Gold's the way. <laughs> I'm going to be like, dudes, like we live in a technological period of time. Yeah. And at any moment you could pick up a newspaper and be like, new machine discovers one trillion pounds of gold right. below the earth's surface. Yeah. Boom. Gold is no longer valuable. Sure. Yeah. Another example of that is aluminum. The guy who first isolated aluminum brought it to, I think it was like in Spain, he brought it to like the king and the king was like, awesome. Kill him <laughs> right yeah, now. Right. So that we can have the monopoly on aluminum and aluminum was worth way more by weight than gold. And now it's trash. Right. It's the cheapest thing on planet earth. So back to myself 16 years ago i would hear this podcast sorry i'm kind of jumping all over the place here well you don't have to apologize to me that's the way my brain works <laughs> but yeah this is true we're both that way we'll just apologize to the audience yeah we apologize to you guys so for most of my life i would have heard this podcast and it would have been like oh, but i want a simple path that i can follow so that i can be the next fill in the blank you know yeah. grammy award-winning mix engineer yeah. grammy award-winning producer and i'd be really frustrated by this i'd be Kind of fascinated by this idea of like, wait, so I'm more rare than gold? Yeah. Mm, I like that. Yeah. But I would be, egotistical Chris Graham would want to go all in right away on like whatever the full-time thing is. Uh-huh. I'd want to be like, well, as of right now, I'm a full-time blah, 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 which is essentially with mastering. Uh-huh. I was doing all the things and then one day was like, screw it. Mastering's going pretty good. I have a good marketing idea. This is the only thing I'll do. And I shut down every... Yeah. Inquiry, including inquiries that I regret shutting down. Yeah. Which I'll get into maybe someday totally in the future. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Not even, I know what you're talking about for you, but I also, I've experienced this a million times myself yeah. and other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, yeah, anyway, keep going. So you talk a lot about side quests. Uh-huh. And I look at sort of my own personal journey with this podcast of like going from, hey, business is really, really good, but like my inbox doesn't perpetually overflow with like right. cool new friends yeah. that know me really well from listening to this podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> let me just kind of start over again. What we did right with the podcast was we did it as a side quest. Uh-huh. We were like, Hey, we're going to record three episodes and we're just going to keep saying again and again and again in the episodes. Hey, this is kind of an experiment. We don't want to waste anyone's time. We're giving this a try. If you like this, go ahead and write a review on iTunes. And if we see a bunch of reviews, we'll keep doing it. Yeah. Total experiment. And it was nice because we were open and honest about like, this could be a huge waste of time. Yeah. Let's make sure it's not and be open about the fact that it might be a waste of time. And it was through that side project of talking about the business of running my mastering company that it totally changed my life and changed the mastering company. Mm -hmm. I used to spend a ton of money on ads. I do not need to can't anymore yeah. like can barely keep up as it is yeah and almost all of that is podcast driven at this point so i'm talking about myself a lot right now guys i'm kind of embarrassed by that 
but I'm tr- I'm trying to like bring this home for give you. an example. Yeah, for yeah, a good example of you should do side quests. Yeah, to explore. I'll just say a few things. So you were saying young you would say, can't you just give me the straight path? I don't want to do this, but it's the obvious thing to do. It's just sell my product. Do it. Yes. No, no, go for (laughs) it. I have a a class on Skillshare called it's about side quests, skillshare.com slash creative pep. You can go get two free months and do it. Mm. Uh, But, or, or you can go to my shop and you can get my creative career path. That framework is an integrated model with a timeline and a Mm. narrative. Okay. And the other thing that it is, is in the same way that you don't need a walkthrough guide to climb the corporate ladder, right? It's the same as playing like Super Mario Brothers 1. Mm. Every level just is, comes to you. You just keep walking, keep getting better at the thing that's in front of you. You don't need to think about where to go. You just go straight forward, right? Mm. But open world video game where the possibilities are endless, which is a creative career, you could get a walkthrough guide or a handbook. It will not fight any of the dragons for you. Mm. You still are going to have to make some decisions, but it'll give you this narrative thing to help you walk through it. That's what I tried to create. And the reason being is exactly what you just said. So as an example, this happens all the time. It's one of the reasons this content exists for me. You kind of downplayed this idea of being like your hero, right? And there's a season of that accounted for in my process. Here's why. Because here's something that drives me absolutely bonkers is that it doesn't get good until you niche down into your unique thing. Mm. It doesn't get good. It doesn't really hit the inflection Mm. point until Luke disobeys Yoda and becomes a different kind of Jedi who prioritizes different things than Yoda. Mm. That's when he becomes a Jedi, right? It doesn't get good until then. But you can't get there without listening to Yoda. You can't get there. And this is why it's a narrative-based system that is not dual. It's a, what season are you in? Okay. So you're in a season where it's time to find your people and try to be like them. And the reason I say all that is because one of the things that drives me absolutely bonkers is there's this creative cliche of like, think outside the box, you know, kill your darlings, like kill, kill your heroes. Like for, you know, don't be singular, be only like you just screw everything else. And that comes from people like George Carlin, George Carlin, who was singular. Here's a comic who we know him as like this breakthrough comic legend. And he goes on into interviews and says, you know, things didn't get good until I quit trying to be exactly like my hero. I can't remember his name. I keep thinking it's Jack Benny, but I don't know if it's Jack Benny. So Hmm. I apologize for that. But he actually has a fine career mimicking this hero of his, trying to be just like him. He's even like on Johnny Carson. Hilariously, and they look almost like brothers. Willie Nelson's story is the same. Okay. Every huge artist story is this way Hmm. so much so there are exceptions there are exceptions to the rule but generally this is true this is why that advice drives me so crazy of just be you just do your thing no because that's in my process step three step two is about george carlin so what happens where he really the person that we know of as george carlin was born the time where i think he goes on johnny carson and he has a cardboard cutout of him in a suit, which is the same kind of suits that his hero wore. Mm. And then he's wearing this casual stuff that we always have seen him in in the future. And he says, this guy's dead. And he throws him off the stage. And it's a metaphorical killing off of this version of him. And he's like, that was it. Do that. He was only in that position after 
trying to be like other people for a long time. There is a gap. This is Ira Glass thing. There's a gap that you bridge by trying to be like other people. It's a season Mm. that's actually so powerful, so important. Gandalf can only take you so far, Mm. right? Like, you know, Yoda can only take you so far. There's a thing that you're here to do that is a little bit like what they did. But we're talking about the inflection point that happens when you can't go any further without disobeying them. So there's a bunch of things. Like Mm. my heroes would never have called themselves pizza. They wouldn't. (laughs) So your your real name, Andy J. Miller. Yeah. At some point, you decided to rebrand yeah. as Andy J. Pizza. And when I did it, I, I knew. I can think of three or four of my favorite illustrators of all time. And if they heard that, they would turn their noses at it and be like, that's not, that's not cool. Dude, same story on a smaller scale with this podcast. Well, podcast was the same for me too. Yeah. So real quick with this, as I remember when Brian invited me and I was like, six-figure home studio, that is aggressive. That is a, yeah, is really leaning into like money counts. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had a really same thing. Yeah. When I started my podcast was creative career. Mm. I thought my industry is going to hate me. Yeah. Creatives are going to freaking hate my guts. I wondered if Chris Graham mastering would go under because I was too open about money and its importance. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You disobeyed Yoda. Yeah. idea. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mentors would have been like, don't do that. Do not make a podcast about the enemy. Money. Money. Business. You know, business. You're coming out as a bad artist if you do that. You're coming 100%. out as, yeah, you don't have magical sensibilities. You're evil. And it's been mind-blowing to look at this and be like, oh my gosh, hilariously. Man, this happened with my website. So when I launched ChrisGrandMastering.com, one of my, I've mentioned this on the show before, but one of my mentors was like, that'll never work. Yeah. Nobody will ever hire a stranger to master their music. There's absolutely zero chance. And luckily I was like, mm, I, disobey. I disagree. Yep. I was right. Yep. Thank God. I've been wrong about a lot of stuff, but on that massive, like, hey, you're not going to have to have a boss and you can like make your own hours and do whatever you want within reason. Eventually like it, there was a while there, but it was like 90 hours a week. <laughs> Can I throw, I'm going to throw one little thing in here, go for it. but we're not, we shouldn't go deep. It's just a cool little thing that I love. It's from the hero's journey. Yeah. One of the stages is getting in the enemy's clothing. So you brought up like, you're the enemy. And actually I've realized like I spent five years in the business mm. mindset and I'm literally putting on a stormtrooper outfit to get in. Mm. I'm literally, I'm, you know, same as in Wizard of Oz, they put on the guards uniforms yeah. and they get in. Lord the of the castle, Ring, right? they dress up like. Exactly. This yeah. is a, it's a trope, right? I just find it really interesting of like um, the, the business enemy thing. And so actually I think now I'm taking my clothes off. You can't see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Edit this out, James. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. That's a good one. Um, but no, I'm, ta- I'm taking the, the enemy's clothes off because mm. I feel like um, there's that, and I mentioned this before with, off record, but um the, I think it's Picasso quote of like, learn all the rules and then forget them. Mm. Cause there's a thing of like, I spent about five years hardcore in business world, like hardcore thinking really about how do you make the most money mm. with your art and best business practices and all that kind of stuff. And then I think I've just recently been like, you know what? F that I'm not going to do that anymore. But when you forget all the rules, subconsciously they're all there. So the, yeah. I have all those business lessons and everything now, and, but I can go full into art. Totally huge tangent but Mm. it's just an interesting thing as you talk about you know well that i think probably hits home for a lot of people listening yeah 
almost everybody, this has kind of been the weird thing. We keep getting people reaching out that are like, I'm not in the audio industry, but man, I love your podcast. Yeah. And it's like, oh, cool. All right. Maybe like the circle of it what. It sounds the- like they're all in the South too. Well. Based on. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a whole other niche. There. There's a whole other niche. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what I was going to say with this is, uh, what was I going to say? I'm sorry. This? No, you're fine. <laughs> Welcome you're to our about, world. You're talking about how all these people that aren't in the audio industry. Listen, ah, yeah. Yeah. So like forgetting the rules. Uh, and then doing new things is so fascinating and so raw for us as an industry because the Grammys just happened. Yeah. And Billie Eilish crushed. True. Yeah. So hard. Yep. And you look at the studio she recorded these songs in, and I would venture a guess that everyone listening to this show who owns a recording studio, depending on how you want to define that, has an objectively better recording studio than yeah. what Billie Eilish used. Yep. Hers is... uh it's a wreck. Like it looks like all the furniture in there was found in the trash. Yeah. And I mean, it really, really does, but you can't argue with results. Sure. Her music breaks a lot of rules and the intro to their album is some, is like her removing her Invisalign like retainer. Yeah. It's kind of weird and gross, yeah. but she broke all these rules and that's what has made her so successful. And you look at everybody, you know, Jimmy Page, Jimi Hendrix, The Beatles, Bon Iver, U2, name a band. Iron and Wine. Iron and Wine. Yeah. Mumford and Sons. Yeah. You name a, 21 Pilots. Let's just name bands. Let's just name bands for the rest of the show. (laughs) If if you want to fast forward to the part where we stop naming bands. social scene. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Raffi. Modest Mouse. Matchbox 20. Matchbox. Third Eye Line. (laughs) Australian, I must be lonely. Yeah. Gosh, I was such a. Mouse Rat. Oh, I don't know. You watch Parks and Rec? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got that. That took me a minute. <laughs> well, he, they're kind of like Matchbox 20. Anyway. I loved Matchbox 20 growing up. I was yeah. a huge fan. But anyways, so the idea here is, ironically, as an industry, we are really familiar, us music people, that like, oh, wow, when someone breaks rules, that can sometimes go really, really, really well. And we talk about this all the time on the show, distortion on a guitar. Uh-huh was against the rules at yeah. one time. It was like, oh, dude, you have no idea what you're doing. Your amp is yeah. distorting. And yeah. now it's like people have made billions of dollars, well, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, making their amp sound bad. I mean, again, I agree with that. But mm. I think I always go back to uh, this little disclaimer about non-dual, non-binary thinking mm. yeah, yeah. of just think of it like breaking the rules is the inhale and then following the rules is the exhale. And they're just... They just mm-hmm. got to keep, to stay alive, you just got to keep ebbing and flowing. People will take that rule as the rule, as never follow the rules. You're like, hmm, well, that actually, Isn't that a rule? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, to me, that's the way I think about it. That's why I like narrative better than lists. Yeah. Is that it's always a reason for a season, which is a Rob Bell thing. I don't know. That might be polarizing to anybody, but <laughs> I talk about it on my show. But, but this, you know, this kind of finding out, what season are you in? What part of the story are you in? And then with that information, find best practices. Mm. And then also sometimes subvert them. One of my favorite, like best practices is always a good thing to know because it's just data. And I have one of my favorite things, uh, my buddy Kyle Shilly told me about this comic who, whenever he goes to a campus, he says, what's the one thing I'm not allowed to talk about? I just want to know right from the start. So just tell me. They're telling them best practices. Mm. And then he starts every set with that thing, right? 
And so you go into that season and you say, what does a farmer do in the summer? What do you do? And then once you know that, you can do whatever you want with it. Huh. But that data is useful. Does yeah, that make yeah. sense? Yeah. You can break the rules. I struggle with that. Yeah. I, like I am, <laughs> since I've been a child, I've uh-huh. always been hesitant to learn the rules because there's always this really arrogant assumption that like, um, I'll figure this out better. Yeah. Better than what's normal. Uh-huh. That's probably one of the things that you say that challenges me the most. Mm. But ironically, oh, this is hilarious. So I was really reluctant to learn from other mastering engineers yeah. early in my career. I was yeah. really skeptical of like any book about mastering and was really just like, no, like I'm just going to try to make this song give people more goosebumps. Yeah. And I'm going to use science to do that, but I'm going to be artistic about it. Then you look at like this whole business journey, what this podcast is about. I have read my height in business books yeah. and probably then some. Yep. And am sort of like figuring out how to bend them and break them and aim them in different directions and, and figuring out when some of them are valuable and when some of them are actually poison. Yeah. And so like the perfect example back to Jim Collins was, you know, I read Jim Collins book, Good to Great, talked about something called level five leadership. Yep. The basic idea was, well, historically, CEOs of companies that have done really, really well tend to be in the background. They don't let their personality shine through. They're not goofy. They're not charismatic. They sure as shit don't make dad jokes at every opportunity that they yeah. have. And so I was like, okay, yeah, that's who I'm going to be. That is not who I am. No. Like no. at all. Yeah. And I intentionally had my foot on the brake with that up until like episode 70 of the podcast where I was finally like, oh, well, I'm just going to, I'm not going to like filter at all. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a ton of threads to pull there, but mm. like, I think that's a typical creative thing too. Yeah. Of like only think outside the box. You know, you don't even want to know what your contemporaries are doing. So yeah. you can't copy them. To me, I always think about creativity. I always think about it through the lens of that we're social animals. Mm. I never think about it as the individual. I'm always thinking about how the individual artist serves the rest of people. What's their place in it? Totally. And to me, when you think about, I'm not going to learn any, I'm not going to stay abreast to what's happening now. And I'm not going to learn what happened before me. I'm just going to follow my own taste. To me, that sounds like a scientist who goes in the lab and they're like, I'm going to work on some kind of thing where you put it on a transportation thing and it makes it not it's frictionless. Invent the wheel. That's what mm-hmm. they're doing. That's such a waste of your time yeah. in, in this era of humanity. Go figure out everything we know. Figure everything we know and then build on that. That's your purpose. Oh, my gosh. Let me take this home for us. Yes. You're talking about service. 100%. You're talking about the go-giver. You were talking about, we've mentioned this on the show a couple times, the religious piece of this isn't necessarily the takeaway as much as the truth of the statement. Jesus' disciples are arguing about who's the greatest, and Jesus is like, no, you don't get it. To be the greatest, you need to be two things. One, last, and two, the servant of all. Mm-hmm. And servant of all in the year like 2BC or AD, I'm not sure how that math works, but that's really the big thing. Yes. And learning the rules, tell me if I'm getting this right here. Yeah. Learning the rules is about figuring out how to serve the most people. Yeah. Because you can break the rules in a way that serves people. Ultimately, I think it starts with your taste. And I use that word liberally. I just mean your taste as don't start with what you can do. Start with how you receive things. Mm. So you, when you're talking about the Jim Collins thing, reading that book, it's fine to read everything. And it's fine to learn all of the rules. But never filter that stuff 
through anything but your own taste. So mm. if it's not hitting your own taste, you can't build a career as a chef making dishes that are disgusting to you, but you think other people will like. Ooh. Because does that make sense? Yeah, because man. you've got to have an intimate connection with that mm. stuff. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to make the best version of that. If you hate curry, you're not going to be able to make the best curry ever. The person that can has to have the super taste of like knowing where all the intricate little pairings, being able to splice them out, reverse engineer the ingredients, add to those mm. recipes. That comes from a personal taste and intuition. And that's backed up. I didn't know we were going to get so religious on the show, but the golden rule, do unto others as you want done to you. Sounds like be nice. You like it when people are nice to you, mm -hmm. go be nice to other people. To me, it is a service thing. And it is the secret of how to find your purpose is do unto others as you want done to you. As you want done to you is your taste. As yeah. you want done to you. And then you think about if you're a chef, what is the food that just you, when someone makes you that dish, it's the deepest levels of like, yeah. Pizza. And me too. Absolutely. <laughs> and I, I would be a pizza chef if I was a chef. But that's true about everything is can you speak from Gary Shandling, another spiritual figure, <laughs> said, give what you didn't get. So mm. what are the recipes that like, okay, your taste of what people did for you, do unto others as you want done to you. It'll take you so far to do what your heroes did for you, right? Mm -hmm. But then at some point, their albums just didn't. It's like, yeah, you should have turned that way when you... I wish like, oh, I love what you're doing right up into that point. The time for you to make the song is when you're like, but you should have done that. You should have. Does this make sense? Yeah. Are you yeah, following yeah. that? Because yeah. that's where your service comes in is that you start. So, like there were so many shows growing up. It's like the Muppets. I was obsessed with the Muppets. But what I didn't like, this is so funny. I don't know if I've ever said this. Mm. I've come to appreciate him. But as a kid, I had no taste for Kermit. He did nothing for me. Uh-oh. I know. Uh-oh. Isn't that crazy? I can hear uh, Miss Piggy going, what? Yeah, actually, now I re that's so good. I actually love Kermit now because of his purity, his purity of heart. And like, I love, you know, there's so much I love about Kermit now. <laughs> so, but, but growing up, I was just like, just tell Gonzo's story. I just like Gonzo. Me too. I love Gonzo. We're the, we're oh the my gosh. That's what it yeah. is. Right. And so, and it was always like that. So huh. like on He-Man, it was Orko. I was like, just put Orko in. He's so much cooler than yeah. He-Man. Like, please. He's like mysterious, cool, weird. Like, yeah. please. And so like. I still don't even know what the hell that thing was. Nobody does. That's the best part. It's like a little ghosty. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, the best. And so my properties, huh. Invisible Things, is Gonzo and Orko all day. Every character is a different version of that. <laughs> right? Because they, I took those recipes and I said, you know what? Can we turn up the cumin on that? Or can we turn, you know. Yeah. This is missing cilantro completely. Does that make sense? Totally. Okay. Let me chime in with this. I have no idea what you're going to do with this episode. It's so long. Oh, this is great. I think it's going to be fine. Uh, so, <laughs> it's fun. I'll say this and then I'm going to tell a story. Yeah. One of the best parts about being a podcaster is you get the opportunity to get free coaching mm -hmm. from people. Oh, yeah. And so this is a blast for me. Sure. So I'm, I'm being a little self-indulgent. Right. Because it's a, like a pointed discussion where I get to like learn more about what the hell is happening in my own life uh -huh. right now. And that's so, the best way though. Cause yeah. that, to me, again, that's going back to taste. Like if it's not doing it for you, if you're not feeling it, mm. you, you don't have the metal detector to know where the gold is. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So like the, it's, it's almost the only way I know how to do it is to be speaking to what I'm going through 
what's resonating right now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's true authenticity. So the story I would use to kind of illustrate what you're talking about before about taste and breaking the rules is related to a Columbus, Ohio favorite. This episode is brought to you by Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. Yeah. So (laughs) Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams is this ice cream company based out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh It's this woman, Jenny Britton Bauer, who is a queen. She is amazing. An exemplary artist and freaking maniac business person. Yeah. And so her story, really, really quick. She was in art school. She decided that she was into perfume. She dropped out of art school. She started taking like Haagen-Dazs ice cream and approaching it as a perfumer would and creating these really weird flavors off of vanilla. And her first like big flavor was Queen City Cayenne. Or was it salty caramel? I don't know. I think it was cayenne. And so it was basically a spicy vanilla ice cream. Weird. Yeah. That breaks a lot of rules. Very. Like the unspoken rule at the time was like spicy and ice cream. These things don't mix. She broke the rules and through a lot of interesting things. Her story is amazing. There's a podcast called How I Built This with Guy Uh Raz. It's NPR. There's also Uh, a podcast called Creative Pep Talk. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right, She tells her story. Yeah, anyway. On on that. Yeah, Guy Raz, that podcast is superior. Anyway, (laughs) it's good. Her story is amazing of like breaking the rules after learning the rules. Yeah. And what's interesting about that too is she's easy to talk about. Oh, yeah. It is one of the best things about Jenny's Ice Cream. If you're listening to this podcast, you love this podcast. Brian Hood, our faithful host, got engaged at a Jenny's Ice Cream. Like, it's a huge part of, like, what Brian and I are obsessed with. Oh, yeah. And if you have the opportunity to go to a Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, you should. It's like walking into this podcast, except it's an ice cream shop. And you, and a smaller version of that is you can get a pint almost anywhere. I was in Sioux Falls this week. They had them there. Interesting. Yeah. At least go to your grocery store and buy a pint. But yeah, it's amazing that she took what made her unique and different, leaned into it and created a unique story. She didn't look at Ben and Jerry's and was like, I want to be the next Ben and Jerry's. I'm going to be a kind of a hippie and we're going to do these weird, like bizarre. She did start with, she started with making great vanilla ice cream, which by the way, how by the rules can you get vanilla ice cream, right? True. But what she learned from that is Vanilla is an extract that's very similar to what you would find in perfume. Mm. And that's where she broke it. She said, oh, what about other extracts? Could we do the same thing? This, uh, you know, what is the word? Like nose sensory, whatever. Can we we take that stuff that's traditionally that and put it in ice cream? And that's where all these new flavors started to come from is how do we take all these other extracts and and, uh, flower extracts and essences and, mm-hmm. and infuse them into ice cream in ways that aren't being popcorn. So, she has a popcorn right. flavored ice cream. That's amazing. Yes. Amazing. So, yeah. I think Andy and I are both trying to tell you guys, Jenny Britton Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams, one of our, at least our favorite creatives on earth. Oh yeah. Right she's now. a hero of mine. And I think she's an interesting story of, of how she figured out these circles. We've got this Venn diagram with four circles on it. We've got what you love to do what will make you money, what you're the best at, and then this growth component. And Jenny is so interesting in this. Her story is, I think, so applicable. If I've told it before, guys, just hang with us. This is so worth it. Her story is she started a really small ice cream shop at a place called the North Market here in Columbus. The North Market is like an incubator for restaurants and food shops. It's absolutely amazing. It's like 150 years old. 
one of the like the coolest places I've ever been in the country. Yeah. And she started her little tiny ice cream shop and you'd go up to Jenny. She's the only person working there and you wouldn't pick your flavor. Jenny would say, today I've made chrysanthemum lizard green tea. Yeah. Would you like some yes or no? And sometimes people would walk up and be like, oh, never mind. No. Or they'd be like, okay, mm, this is too weird for me. Yeah. What had happened was she made this flavor called salty caramel. Mm-hmm. She was the first person to do a salty caramel ice cream as far as I know. Yeah. And people would come back and be like, oh, hey, uh, you got any of that salty caramel today? Jenny Brittenbauer? And she'd be like. I like this character. Like. <laughs> There's all kinds. You got all kinds of characters. She'd be like, there. no, no soup for you today. Only yeah. lizard chrysanthemum green tea. And what she found was this sort of like rebel commitment to, well, this is what I felt like making today. Didn't really work. Yeah. Commercially. Yep. And so eventually she went into business. And then she relaunched and she had two giant refrigerators full of ice cream. The ones that everybody has where you walk up and there's like a glass thing and yeah. you look down and you, you see the giant like five gallon containers of ice cream. And one is her go-to. Every time you go to Jenny's now, they always have salty caramel. They always have, uh, let's name some other of these, these flavors. Brambleberry crisp. Brambleberry crisp. They always have, what's the whiskey and walnuts? Totally blanking on it. But they have all these flavors that are tried and true. Everybody loves them. Greatest hits. Greatest hits. And then on the next refrigerator, it's the weird stuff. And the weird stuff is seasonal. And it's like, oh, you know, peaches are in season. So we got a peaches cobbler thing. And, or mint. The mint farm just harvested their mint. So we're going to do a mint this season until we run out. And so she's got on one side her go-to standards and on her other her side projects. Yeah. And every once in a while, she'll make a flavor that does so well that it jumps into the next refrigerator. Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, man. This is the whole idea of like, it's the hedgehog thing on a timeline. Yep. So one day, something in the crazy fridge might push out salted caramel. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it might. Like, if she, and that, so there's always this, you know, it reminds me of the writing on stage thing that comics do. They take all their, you know, they have their Jim Gaffigan. Hot Pockets, right? Like that's his salty caramel. We all know mm. this thing of his. and But the way that he makes sure that that's not the only thing that he's ever done mm. is he gets up on stage with a few new ideas. This is the freaky fridge. Goes into the small clubs. He does that freaky fridge side enough to where he gets a, a whole new batch of greatest hits and then he makes a special. That's amazing. Right? And the tricky thing there for him is like those Hot Pockets were really, really, those, those Hot Pocket jokes were really hot at I, first. Uh, is this a pun? <laughs> no. No. But then I they, don't know if anybody ever did this, though, was did anybody ever say Hot Topic like that? Whenever I go to Hot Topic, that's what I'm always saying is Hot Topic. Hot. That's, I've also done that. Really? Every time I walk Maybe by this is at just the mall. a dad thing. Hot Topic. <laughs> but yeah. 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 But it, I think, again, there's this narrative component. Yeah. And actually, great. I'll, I think this is probably a good way for me to summarize it for me. Lots of the ideas in my framework, I've learned over the time, other people have had these ideas. I think because they're observing truths, hmm. not because, not copying, not whatever, but I have people in my realm, if, in terms of the creative career realm, that are established, people like Austin Kleon and Liz Gilbert and El Luna and Todd Henry and all these people that have added a lot of these ideas, had these, a lot of these ideas. And really, my way of disobeying Yoda was to mm. throw that into a narrative to say, not ju- this isn't just a list of 10 things that are great to do if you're a creative person. 
here's an order that you can do them. And let's also add this to a system that's action-oriented. Mm. Like, let's not just say, do this, do that, do that. I'm saying, ask yourself that question, then test it with making something, look at the results and pivot forward. But all of those things were, I realized over time, like almost none of these ideas are original. I like this either. When we talk about the DNA thing, I think a good way to like make it non-dual is let's look at the opposite side. It's the opposite side of you're completely unique is that you are 99.9% exactly like everybody else. Between you and me, we are almost exactly the same. Mm. But 0.1% of our DNA is not. And my point with that being is, that's my argument for learning the rules. Learn what we already know about the 99.9. People like you that you have all this stuff in common with, like mm. that you might even have like 99.98 with those people. Get to really understand that. So there's all these people doing creative career stuff or creative practice stuff. A lot of the things that I have to say over time, even without realizing it, because again, I didn't even study these people. For the longest time, I wasn't learning any of the rules. And I started checking their stuff and I'm like, oh my God, we're saying the same things. Mm. <laughs> I was like, no, what's happening? I got, like, I'm, I've got to quit because I'm Enneagram 4 and I have to be individual and unique. Mm. And so that made me have a panic attack. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, they're already saying this stuff. And then instead of panicking, realizing that, A, I can learn a lot of great things from them that can make me better. And then B, it can help me figure out what is my 0.1%. Mm. What is my differentiator? What is my niche within that? And I realized my niche is to not just say all these truths, but to give people a system for them. Mm. So it says, this is a process. This is a journey. This is a narrative. So don't just, you know, think outside the box. Do that in your season three. When you're ready for that, this is when you're ready for thinking outside the box. Mm. Don't just make a side quest. Do that after you've already had a goal that you can mirror it from. Mm. Okay. So, you know what I'm saying? And again, this niche thing goes back to this little humble place, that 0.1%. It's just a little humble. That's my little garden. I'll take care of it. We all took care of our own little 1%. The whole system would flourish. Yeah. 100%, right? 100% agree. But when we're constantly trying to be like, I'm 99.9% different than any person that's ever walked this planet. You're not getting anywhere. You're trying to reinvent the wheel mm. and it's not going to happen. Does that make sense? So healthy. I love this. Well, I'll tell you what, man, this has been really fun. Why don't you tell us what people listening to this podcast could do if they want more of you, more of this topic? Where would be a good place if you wanted to go listen to the Creative Pep Talk podcast? 261, the podcast. I dove really deep into this idea of uh, niche recently and I went through the lens of, identifying how do you, your identity, your core beliefs, mm. all this list of things that make up your 0.1%. Mm. And the reason I think you need to do that as an artist, again, isn't to be a singularity out there in the ether where everyone can worship how unique you are. Mm. We're all coming to your concert to be like, praise this person. That's not why people come to your concert. Mm. They come to their concert to learn something about them they didn't know. Ooh. And when you find things about you, yeah that no other human has articulated. There's a bunch of people. That 0.1% resonates with a bunch of other mm. people. So this is a toolkit for just a few buckets of like, think about these different things, identify what, who are you in terms of like identity, for instance, I'm ADHD, right? That's part of my identity. It's like a molecular identity thing. That's part of my niche, but I have a list of those things and that's a good place to, to get digging. I love that. So yeah, check out episode 261 of the podcast creative pep talk andy is more than a brother less than Boom. a wife yeah <laughs> full circle well thanks for coming on the show man this was awesome dude i had an absolute blast 
huge thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering in the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation and you're in the audio space and the music space and you're trying to earn a living, uh, that's a great podcast. That's one of the top podcasts in that space and they give tons of business uh, ideas away there. It's, you know, they have a crazy fan base that's super passionate about that show. And um, Chris is just the loveliest. He's a good friend of mine. Very smart uh, chap. Um, and he's built a great business. So go check that out. Uh, yeah. And if you need a visual reference for the creative side quest process, I don't think I've ever put it on paper with such clarity and, uh, and, and such ease of, you know, digestion. I wanted to create a kind of cheat sheet for this thing so that especially those who have worked through the class and, and those who have heard me talk about these principles on the podcast, that they could have this little thing that they could flip back through and, and just really quickly internalize these ideas because it's, it's much more powerful when you really know it like the back of your hand. So go check it out at Andy J Pizza. I have a slider. It says at the top, uh, the creative side quest. Um, that it just says the creative, it says creative side quest. Okay. Thanks for listening y'all. And, uh, we got a bunch of new episodes in the cooker that I'm really excited about. So stay tuned for the next couple weeks. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. Thanks to Chris Graham of Chris Graham Mastering for audio assistance. And thanks to all of you for continually showing up and getting pepped out of your mind and putting in the work. And man, making this podcast so fun to create. And until we speak next week, stay pepped up. <laughs>